going to um, uh, keep pulling some nuggets out of our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter number six. And we're going to look at verses 12 uh, through 15 starting out. Hebrews chapter six, verse number 12 through 15. And while you're turning there, have you all noticed that whenever you go to a fast food restaurant and go through the drive through uh, everybody's now asking you, do you want to round up? Um, your price to donate to an organization. And I sometimes wonder if all of that is being rounded up to go to organization, and, 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 and hopefully it is. But the other thing that's happening, and not only that, is I was at a place the other day, uh, and when you give them, let's say, for instance, your meal costs $7.45, you give them $7.50, those young folks just automatically don't give you your nickel back. Did y'all know that? And then when you ask them, they, they're shocked that you want your nickel back. Now, look, I'm going to tell you what happened to me yesterday. First of all, I was, I was uh, uh, drinking something I probably shouldn't have been drinking. It wasn't whiskey. It wasn't my wine. But I stopped by this place where I got me this uh, strawberry Oreo cookie shake. How many of y'all know, say, say Pastor. You shouldn't have been drinking it in the first place. And I gave them $7. And I thought the young man told me it was $7.45, so I gave him $7.50. I got to one he told me it was $7. I said, uh, it was $7.45. He said, no, it was $7.49. And he closed the classroom. Register. I said, so, so there's still a penny I need to have. <laughs> now it's about the principle of the thing. I could have did without the penny, but it was the principle. I made him... Literally, hit what he did. I made him open that cash register. He had to find somebody else to figure out how to open it back up. And there was a shiny penny. He got it, and he did it like this. As if you are asking for your penny back. But it's the principal thing. You know, if I want you to have that penny, and a lot of times I'll just tell him to keep it. But it was like I was, I was not supposed to ask for my change back. So sometimes, you know, we, we, we're talking about I have need of patience today. And so I showed patience there, but it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because he just assumed that, that, that I, they could keep my penny. So you keep enough of those pennies, you may add 2 or 3% to your bottom line. All right? So, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, I, that just, that just kind of hit me in the, in the face. And I was thinking about that. I said, am I the only one that, that has that happen to them? And it's happening quite frequently nowadays. So learn how to count, first of all. And learn how if I order something that ain't on that button there, you figure out a way to get me what I ordered. Because some of them can't press that button, they don't know. Okay? So we need some help. Everybody say we need some help. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Look at verse number 12. Y'all there with me? I need patience. Now, we've been talking about entering God's rest, haven't we? And how critically important it is for us to recognize that there is a rest for us. There's a, there's a place of, of peace as a place of, 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 of a place of uh, being in the will of God because when we are talking about God's rest we're talking about operating under God's kingdom rule and authority and we're resting in his commands that he gave us so the writer again we've, we've been studying the book of Hebrews and we know and we understand that the, the, the recipients of this letter were, were thinking about going back and so 
this writer is encouraging them to continue forward in their faith. So let's read together. Y'all there? Let's read. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Can we read that one more time? That you be not slothful. What does it mean to be slothful? This is lazy. Everybody say lazy. And I, I sense that there is a, a post-pandemic, I sense that there is a slothfulness in the body of Christ as a whole. I even sense some slothfulness as it relates to the family of faith at EBC in Benton, Louisiana. Because you can get used to not doing something, right? And God has called all of us as born-again believers to be active in our faith journey, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of that church that we said the Holy Spirit led us to, uh, be a part of that church and be actively engaged in the work of ministry at that church. Each one of us have our individual giftings, and God wants to use us to advance his kingdom principles by operating allowing us to operate in our gifting. So watch what he says. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience do what? Inherit the promises. Text says this, next verse. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. The text says this, saying, surely surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Verse 15. And so, after he had patiently what? Endured. He did what? Obtained the promise. Now, if you got your Bible, you need to mark that, uh, underline it, start, whatever you need to do to, to, to attract your eyes to that phrase there. And so after he had what? Patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Let's go to uh, the 10th chapter, verse number 35 and 36. Are y'all still with me today? Hebrews, the 10th chapter, we're going to look at verses 35 and and 36. This text says this. Cast not away therefore your confidence which had great recompense of reward. Alright. Next verse says this. For you have need of what? Patience that after you have done the will of God. I need you to underline that start, mark it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. That you have after, after you have done the will of God you might receive the promise. Read one more time. For you have need of what? patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Let's go to the 12th chapter and verses 1 through 2. You're going to see a common theme here that the writer is, is, is encouraging these Hebrew Christians on. And it's going to be a thing that I'm going to be encouraging each one of us to, to, to learn how to operate in because when we do, we position ourselves to be uh, 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 moving with God and be in a position where we can receive the promises from God's word. Text says this, ready to read. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch this, run with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right? So we need to run this race with what? Patience. Everybody say patience. Now, I gave you some key thoughts here. Let's just kind of go through these real quick and we'll, we'll keep moving because I got some more scriptures I want us to unpack. I've discovered that 
that as I've been teaching and pastoring here for a number of years, I think that sometimes we miss this avenue or this aspect of our faith journey. And on last week, I told you about those three guy wires, those, 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 uh, uh, those things that connect or help us, our faith to be effective. We got to make sure that we are not allowing the enemy to attack us in those three areas. Those three areas uh, are, are guy wires that help our faith to work the way it's supposed to work. Okay. So we said patience in the Bible. Patience means cheerful endurance. It's waiting on God and enjoying the wait with anticipation. Let's read it again. It says what? In the Bible, patience means cheerful endurance. A lot of times when you see the KJV, the word endurance can be interchanged with patience. Okay? Patience means cheerful endurance. What kind of endurance? Now, there are some of y'all who are enduring right now, but you're not very cheerful. Okay? Cheerful endurance. Everybody say cheerful endurance. It's waiting on God and enjoying the wait with anticipation. Additionally, this is not on your notes, but patience is the ability to remain consistent, steadfast, and single-minded in the face of grave obstacles and significant challenges. How many of y'all got some obstacles in your life right now? How many of you got some challenges that you're facing right now that, that, that you need to learn how to remain consistent, steadfast, and single-minded as you face those obstacles, as you uh, are having to face those significant challenges in your life, whether it be financial, whether it be health-wise, whether it be having to process grief, whether it be uh, your job situation, whatever it may be, you're facing the obstacle. You got a significant challenge, and 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 we got to remain single-minded. We got to remain, as the scripture says, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, patience is a virtue as well as a fruit, and it must be coupled always with faith if you and I are going to receive the promised blessing. I got to repeat that. Patience is a virtue as well as a fruit, and it must be coupled always with faith if, if you and I are going to receive the promised blessing. Now, realize truth. Let's go to this next uh, key thought, Ray. Listen to me carefully. When you believe, what you believe in is what you live in. I'm going to repeat that. What you believe in is what you live in, and the perspective you see from, all right? When you believe in Christ and his word, you see from his perspective. Let me say it again. When you believe in what you believe in is what you live in and the perspective you see from. When you believe in Christ and his word, you see from his perspective. Here's the thing. Here's the challenge that all of us as believers are facing. We all came to Christ from our families of origin, right? Everybody got a mom and a daddy. Even if you don't know who your mom and dad are, you got one. Because that's the only way you got here was through a mama and a daddy. The seed of a man. Came together with the egg of a woman. Is that right? And life was produced. You're sitting here, right? So all of us came to Christ with family of origin issues. All of us came to Christ with cultural nuances 
that, that, that we grew up with. And, and all of those things shape the way we think about life. All those things shape the way we think about marriage. All those things shape the way we think about finances and think about how church should be done. All right? So we come to the body of Christ with all of this stuff affecting the way we think about life. And what God seeks to do with each and every one of us in order to use us to our highest good is, is that he seeks to transform our thinking. He seeks to transform our perspective on how we do life. I like, I think it's in, if you can find it, Philippians, the second chapter. This is, this is one little sidebar. I need to go to Philippians chapter number two. Uh, and I think we're going to look at verse number five. I think I'm correct. But let me turn to my Bible. Do you have your Bible on the phone or live pages turning? How many of y'all like live pages turning? I guess the page is not live, right? It's, it's a dead tree that made this. But y'all know what I'm saying. Listen to what this text says. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, right? The KJV says, let this mind be in you that was also what? In Christ Jesus. So when you come to Christ, when you come to the Lord, there has to be a a rearranging of how we think about life issues because some of the stuff that we, that shaped us, it's, 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 uh, Man, it can be very difficult to to start thinking differently. Are y'all with me? So God has to get us out of our way of thinking with our little idiosyncrasies, with our little habits, our little stuff that, you know, our little nuances that we have. And, And he wants to change our thinking and supplant it with the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. I gotta let it. In other words, God is not going to come and take my mind and just and then just transform it without my permission because we are free moral agents. And I got to tell you, listen, if you don't want more of God, you won't get more of God. I could preach to you. I could beg you. I could I could do everything that I know my power to do. But unless you agree to participate in your own spiritual growth, you won't grow. Man, when I learned that, it freed me because I realized that, that you can't give somebody a heart for discipleship if they don't want it. And many people in the body of Christ haven't readily admitted that they don't really want more of God. They like doing life their way. And as a result, they, 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 they won't come out and say that because they don't really sound good. I don't want any more. I got all I want right now. Pastor, I don't want you to teach me how to deal with my husband because I got him right where I want him. <laughs> Pastor, don't talk to me about how I handle my finances. You know, I, I'm good right now. I'm good. I don't need you to be in the middle of my business, as we say. But let me tell you something. If you belong to God, God is going to use me to get all up in your house. And if you really really want to grow, you need a pastor who will get up in your house. And again, when I say get up in your house, I'm going to preach the naked truth. The naked truth. 
I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to go to the word of God. And so we're going to let the word of God drive our theology, drive our mindset. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He goes on. Let's go to the next verse right quick. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Watch this. It says this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in what? Human form, right? Verse number eight, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Now watch this. If Jesus, the Messiah, had a mindset of humility and he says we, we need to have the same mindset, that means that we, you and I should be walking in humility. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So if Jesus humbled himself into obedience to God, then what, where do we get the mindset that it's our decision or, well, it is our decision, but why do we think we can be okay with God and ignore everything God tells us? Where do we get the audacity to believe that it's our world and God's just living in it? He's the one who created the heavens and earth. And if you, if you say you love him, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's going to be critically important that each one of us allow God to renew our mind. So when you, what you believe in is what you live in and the perspective you see from. When you believe in Christ and his word, you see from his perspective. Because again, everything, every issue in life, whether it's politics, whether it's church life, whether it's work, I want to know not per se what you think. I want, I want to know what drives your thinking. I've said before, many of us allow all kinds of things, everything except the word of God to drive our thinking. And God, and God is saying, I need each one of you all if, to, to look at life from my perspective. See, listen, we talk about living by, living by faith. Living by faith. When you believe God and step out in faith on one of his promises, there is a divine link, I told you a couple weeks ago. There's a divine link which is invisible to the natural eye, but it is a spiritual substance called faith. Faith reaches into the unseen spirit realm. Y'all hear me? It grabs hold of God's promises and it brings the manifestation of those promises into the natural world. Romans 1 and 17, the latter part says, and as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, we should have a lifestyle of faith. In other words, Brother Ken Wayne, when I'm living this life, if I'm living a life of faith, that means I'm living in such a way where I can't see in the natural what God is showing me in the spiritual. And for some of us, that just blows our mind because we, we want to, we so, we're so in control, we want to know everything. And God says, if you're going to follow me, there are going to be some things I'm not going to tell you until you first take the step of faith. Are y'all listening to me today? And we have to get beyond our own selves to get to a point to where we're walking in faith, living by faith. The just shall live by faith. Living a consistent life of faith means believing God's word, hear me carefully, over what our natural senses and reason are speaking to us. Living by faith is not, hear me carefully, it's not dismissing our senses. It's not dismissing our natural mind or our ability to think and to reason. Living by faith requires a reprogramming. Everybody say reprogramming. 
it, called, it, it requires us to reprogram our senses, reprogram our thinking, and reprogram our reasoning with the word of God. So when it says, let this mind be in you, also in Christ Jesus, there has to be a reprogramming that takes place. Because again, all of us come to, come to faith with our own way of thinking about stuff. And it's hard to get stinking thinking out of our heads when we've been thinking that way for 40, 50 years. And God is saying, I want to use you to do supernatural exploits here in the earth realm, but I can't do it because your thinking is messed up. Remember, we talked about the fact, one of my favorite passages is in Romans, the 12th chapter, it says God changes our behavior by changing the way we think. So as your pastor, I'm telling you right now, I'm trying to get your thinking to line up with God's word and to get you out of yourself and to get me out of myself. Because I told you, we don't really know until we're tested whether or not we believe what the word of God says. The word of God has, is a mirror. It shows us ourselves. Are y'all tracking with me today? It shows us ourselves. Let's go to Hebrews, the fifth chapter right quick. God doesn't want us to completely discard our senses. He wants us to re- retrain ourselves so everything that we think and we do, every reaction we have is based on the word of God and becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a lifestyle, a lifestyle of faith. When it says the just shall live by faith, it means that the just have a lifestyle of faith. Everybody say lifestyle. lifestyle. Now when I say lifestyle, what does that mean to you? What's the lifestyle? It's how you live it. Y'all remember that back in the day they had, they had a show called How I'm Living? Y'all remember that show where you go and they, they look at the people's houses and, and, and a lot of times they were big mansions and that, what have you, but how you're living. See, when I unpack your life, or when you unpack your life, or if, if we were to be able to show your life on this big screen up here, would it be without a doubt that you are living a life of faith, or would it be questionable? If we could go back and look at every decision that you're making, would it show a lifestyle of faith, or would it be, show a lifestyle of doubt and unbelief? Will it show a lifestyle of obedience to God's word or will it only show you being obedient when you're at church and you go home and talk about everything that you talk about in church and, and dispute everything that was shown in the word of God? If we were to be able to look at your life, I know no, nobody here wants us to look at your life, right? To play it on these screen. How many of y'all would walk out like this? You remember in, in the old church, what they would do when they get ready to go out, they do this number right here. If we could play every thought on this screen, every decision that you made, I wouldn't want mine shown. Don't y'all look at me like that. You wouldn't want yours shown either. Because the person sitting next to you may not sit next next to you next Sunday when they find out what you've been thinking and what you've been saying and what you've been gossiping about. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. I got to keep moving here. Are y'all there? Let's look at it. Still some nuggets from Hebrews. Let's read. It says what? For when the time you ought to be teachers teach you again, which be the first principle of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. Now, now check this out. Understand the context. Remember he's writing this to, to encourage these Hebrew Christians, these Messianic Jews who are now facing persecution 
because of their stand for Christ. And, and some were thinking about going back to the old way, going back under the tenets of Judaism so they can stop the pressure that's coming. See, let me tell you all something. And if you, in case you had not figured out now, if you stand for Christ in the culture that we live in now, many people are going to come at you with both barrels loaded. When you really stand for Christ. And, and, and standing for Christ don't mean you have to be obnoxious and arrogant. It just means that you stand on truth. When someone asks you the definition of marriage, you, you tell them what the word of God says and not what culture says. So now when you say that, though, people go come at you like, well, that's my business. You ain't got no business talking about my business. Well, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. I love you. And I'm still going to love you, but I can't agree with you when it doesn't line up with God's word. I would much rather face God at the beam of judgment seat of Christ and, and say that I did what he told me to do and, and have you mad at me than the other way around. Okay, I love you, but I can't compromise truth for you. And that's in every aspect of scripture. So watch this. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principle of the oracles of God and become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. So the, the, these believers who were thinking about going back should have been at a point where they were teaching others, but they still had to be taught the elementary things of the, of the, of the word of God. Keep reading. 13, let's go. For everyone that uses milk is what? Unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? Babe. I will tell you right now, EBC has too many spiritual babies in this church. We have too many spiritual babies. What's a spiritual baby? A, a, a person who has not totally and fully embraced and grasped the concept of God's word and are living out in their everyday life and who are willing to be taught, trained so they can go out and reach others. Everybody sitting here needs to be getting themselves equipped so they can reach somebody with the gospel. And then once they reach them, they can disciple them and train them. I'm afraid to turn some people loose with some of y'all up in here. Because I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know if you, I, I don't know if everybody here is so sold out to the word of God that you're going to say what God's word says, even if it hurts you. And I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to take a new convert and say, hey, I'm going to pair you up with, with her. And for the next two years, y'all walk closer, you walk closer together with her and you, and you mentor her. You, you, you share with her and you walk, up, walk her along so, that, so, that, so she can grow in her faith. And, that, and, and in two years, she should be able to go out and reach somebody else. I want you to ask yourself that question. Could I call on you to do that? Or would you have a problem because that person still got a little cuss in them? See, when you first get somebody saved, there's still some stuff just like some stuff that you brought over into the old life, from the old life into the new life. How many of y'all brought some stuff from the old life into the new life with you? That attitude? Huh? Some, some, some habits? Some things that, 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 that you, you, you wouldn't want shown on the screen? And so, but now, if, if you're going to mentor somebody, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you know how to... To, to live a life of faith, you learn, you learn how to, to, to live in such a way that, that you are uh, asking God to, to work on you while you help, help work on somebody else. Are y'all with me today? So that's critically important, but I need you to ask that question. Are, are you ready to, to take on somebody who's going to require some time? Because see, here's what most of us like to do. Here's what most pastors like. Most pastors like people to come and join the church they, are, they, they want the fish that's already gutted and clean. You know what I'm talking about? 
How many of y'all have had somebody come and say, I got a mess of fish for you. And then when you find out they hadn't gutted and cleaned, you're like, nah, that's all right. <laughs> How many of y'all ever cleaned fish before? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Y'all, y'all clean fish before? Okay, all right. It's a messy business, isn't it? But guess what? Once you take that knife and split that belly open, don't look at me like that, Maria. I know, I know what I'm talking about. I heard her in her spirit. He ain't cooked a fish in his life. Why is he up there talking about gutting fish? I've seen it done. And I have clean. I have clean fish before, though. I have. But then once you gut it, clean it, and put, you know, you know, you know, season in the meal. Can't get a hip up in there. And toss it up in the meal, right? Get the f- grease hot. Can I get some fish fries up in this place? And then share that thing starts to smell and you take it out the, yeah, yeah. Put it over in the thing there and get you some fries and some other stuff and put together with it. That thing is good, isn't it? Some of y'all like that with believers. You don't want to, you don't want to gut them and clean them because it's too messy. You want them with them fried, dyed, and laid to the side. And God says, I need you to take ownership of the discipleship process. Not only should you be a disciple, but be willing to go out and reach somebody else and walk alongside with them. And I've been telling y'all, that's where we are as a ministry. That's where many churches are missing the boat because we have not truly done as good a job as we need to do when it comes to being disciple makers. Jesus told us to go and make what? Disciples. Not just getting new church members. I'm not so excited when new church members come. What did I tell y'all before? Y'all heard, I've been saying this for 20 years. People come and people go. Don't get so high when they come and don't get so low when they go. When they go because people come and people what? Go. That's, that's, that's part of, if you look at ministry, even in, in, in the New Testament, uh, Brother Al and I were talking the other day, if you look at the church, the early church, they were constantly going to different places. They didn't just stay stuck in one spot in a lot of them. God was sending them, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit would, 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 would come and, and send them on assignment to go to different places to go and preach the gospel. Not just church hop, but go and work in ministry. Are you with me today? So, so don't be that type Christian who only wants the fish that's already been gutted and cleaned and got meal on it and ready to eat. God says, I need you to spend some time with some people who I'm going to send you to, to, to give them a word uh, a life-giving word, and once they receive that, I need you to walk along with them. All right? For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? He is a what? He is a what? He's a babe. Keep reading. It says what? But strong meat belonging to them that are of full age, even those who, watch, now watch this, this is what I'm going to do. Even those who, by reason of use, have their what? Their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. What this says is there's many Christians that are sitting out there who are not mature enough to even know the difference between right and wrong. And you're going based off of your feelings and what somebody else said and not the word of God. Read it again. Even those who by reason of use have their what? Senses exercise to discern both good and what? Evil. 
The key to the Christian life is the renewing of program of our mind to think the way God thinks. And that's where we got to get to because I want to be in a position where even if my feeling says one thing and, and, and the word of God says another, I put my feelings on the backboard and I told you I'm going to be obedient to my feelings, catch up with, with my obedience. That's what God desires and wants for all of us to do. Can I get a witness? So, so I told you, uh, let, let's get back to the outline. Faith is supported by three cooperating powers. We said hope, patience, and love. We, and so if the devil can get you to give up hope, lose your patience, or stop walking in love, it will negatively affect your faith. I told you on last week, all of us have been dealt the measure of faith. All of us got the same measure. But the effectiveness of our faith oftentimes is tied to these three guide wires here. The guide wire of hope, patience, and love. All of God's faith and power may be available to you, but if the devil can affect your hope, your patience, or your love, neither faith nor power will work in your life. Some of y'all don't have faith working in your life because you, you don't know how to love people. You don't want to love, love certain people. You, your family, and that's it. You don't want to love somebody who's different than you. And think you're okay with God. You, 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 in other words, if that person is not in my same economic level, then I'm not going to spend much time with them. Because after all, I'm up here and they're down here. Let me, let me tell you something. God can bring you right down here or below down here. Don't you start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to because you got a little bit above rent money. Who was putting food on your table when you didn't have nothing? Who's putting clothes on your back? No, you wash those same two pair of jeans the whole week. Hello? We got to get to the point to where we are allowing God's word to have the preeminent place in our life that God desires for it to have. Are y'all still with me today? So, so, so patience is, 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 is what I want to hit on today. The guy why our patience because we have need of patience after we've done the will of God that we may receive the promise. The promise won't come if we don't have patience. We don't have that endurance. We don't, if we don't, if we don't uh, uh, learn to endure and endure in a cheerful way and we don't learn how to wait on God and enjoy the wait with anticipation. Because see, when I'm standing in faith, that means the thing that I prayed and believed God for, I should be looking with anticipation for that thing to come into manifestation. Are y'all with me? But many times we pray and then we all worry still. What are we, the scripture we read in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, uh, it says, don't worry about anything, but pray about what? So if you're going to worry, don't bother praying. Okay? So, but we got to get to that point to where what gets us out of that state of worry? Because the devil can throw some stuff at us and have us all discombobulated. I agree with you. But you don't have to enter into the state of worry because God's got your back. When his word becomes so preeminent that we walk in it. All right? So let's, let's look at, get to this point. Come say we have need of patience after we've done the will of God that we might receive the promise. So if my patience meter is, 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 is defaulted, then I'm not going to be standing in faith. So four ways to test your patience. Watch this. 
First one is interruptions. Go to, go to Matthew the 19th chapter. Look at verse 13 and 14. Interruptions. We all experience interruptions, right? Sit down and eat the phone ring. Working on the deadline for work and then visitors show up without an appointment and want to talk for an hour. Right? How many of y'all experienced interruptions? Jesus' disciples didn't like interruptions. How do you handle your interruptions? Watch what the text says here. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and do what? Pray for them. But what did the disciples do? They scolded. The disciples scolded the parents for what? For bothering him. They're bringing their children to Jesus for him to lay hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples, like some of y'all, not y'all, some of us, can I make it personal? Like some of us, scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. But look at what Jesus says, all right? Here's here's, here's what I can tell you if you got patience. When you get interrupted, how do you respond to people? When you get interrupted. But Jesus said what? Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these, what? Who are like these children. How you handle interruptions is one of the first tests of your patience because there are going to be times when you deal with people at different, varying levels. Some people just don't know any better. Some people don't know know, that, that, you know, sometimes, you know, when you deal with people, Sometimes that they're at different levels of, of, of their understanding, right? And they don't know. They don't, some people try to be helpful and they just don't know. They say the wrong things, right? Any y'all have somebody say the wrong thing to you? How do you respond to somebody say the wrong thing to you? Huh? Are you mad? You're fussing, cussing? Or are you saying, bless their heart? You know what bless your heart means? They just don't know any better. So I've got to be patient with them, right? All right? So interruption. How do you handle interruption? Go to the next one. Inconveniences. See, when you interrupt it, do you scold people like the disciples did? Or do you show grace and mercy? Second one is inconveniences. Luke, the 10th chapter, verse number 38. Y'all there? Let's read. As Jesus and the disciples continue on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Let's read. Next verse. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now again, it doesn't say that, and the Bible doesn't say, so I'm, I'm about to use my spiritual imagination. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus sent somebody ahead of time to say, we're coming by your house. Right? It doesn't say that. He may have, but it doesn't say that. So I can't assume that it said that because it didn't say that. But so now it would be akin to if you had some people who were coming through town from California and they were friends of yours from years gone by and they stopped by right before dinner time. All right. Or they stopped by and they, and they, 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 they spent some time with you and you don't want, you know, if you're going to be hospitable, you usually try in the South here, we try to feed people when they come to our house, don't we? Y'all don't do that. Some of y'all looking at me like, uh, oh, Pastor, we just say, okay, how, how long is it going to be? <laughs> well, let me tell you about it. 
it was customary during this time period that when you had a guest come, especially someone of the magnitude of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who come to your house, you fix them something to eat. That was the hospitable thing to do. Right? Uh, so, so watch this, watch this. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feast listening to what he taught. All right? So, so, so but, but watch this now. Okay, I, don't, y'all, y'all know this story. But, so, 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 but Martha, we got some Marthas up here, don't we? And I'm just talking about, just not talking about you, Martha. I'm talking about Martha's like people. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, now, I can imagine there's a little bit of edginess to her question here. Can y'all see the edginess in this? Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? She got a little edge in her voice. She may have been a sister shaking her head. I don't know. Lord, doesn't it just seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Tell her to come and help me. Some of y'all, I, I hear some of y'all right now. Well, well, you know, but pastor, you know, all these people in our house now, and she got the nerve to sit there and listen to Jesus teach while I'm fixing up. That ain't fair. The fair is what's happening at the state fairgrounds. Go out there if you want fair. Listen to what the master said. Not, not what you think, but listen to what the master said. Watch this. So see, inconveniences will tell us what kind of patient level that we have, okay? But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Next verse, watch this. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Mary's sitting down there gleaning, and Jesus says, really, at this moment, what I'm teaching is more important than the meal that you're fixing. Whoo. Everybody said Jesus was cold. (laughs) But that's what the master said. Now, I hear some of y'all right now in your mind. Well, he ain't right. Yes, he is. Because now he's, he's letting her know that the spiritual takes precedent over the natural. And your sister is here trying to glean spiritual things that's going to help her to be the type of servant that I need her to be here in the earth realm. So when you are inconvenienced, because Martha was upset with her sister because Mary left her to do all the work. But Jesus says, she's got the, she got the right attitude. She's doing the right thing here. How do you, how do you react when you're inconvenienced? How do you react, how do you react when you're inconvenienced? Do you show impatience with people when they inconvenience you? Look at the next one right here, okay? This is this thing that tests your, your patient level. I need you to think about you, not nobody else. How do you respond? Hear me carefully. How do you respond when you're interrupted, when you're inconvenienced? And number three, when you get irritated with folks. Go to Numbers, the 20th chapter. Verse number one, irritations. How do you handle irritations? Those things that get up under your skin. And all of us have some things in life that kind of get up under our skin, right? How do you handle them? Let's take a look at Moses and see how he handled 
a situation that really perturbed him. He had put up with the Israelites' petty complaints and their criticism for years. This was something they'd been building, okay? And now it looks like Moses ran out of patience. The text says, in the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zen and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Next verse. There was no water for the people to drink at that place. So what did did they do? Now, I I need you to understand something. These are the very same folks who were in slavery in Egypt. These are the very same folks who saw God rain down manna from heaven. The very same folks who saw the, the Pharaoh's army get drowned in the Red Sea. These very same folks who saw God's providential hand working in their life when they were coming out of slavery in Egypt, and now here they are complaining. There was no water for the people to drink, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. text says this, the people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Listen to these cats. (laughs) They are saying, literally saying, I wish we were back in Egypt. At least we could have died around our other brothers. Keep, keep reading. Watch this. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Next verse says what? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? Now understand something. They're on their way to Canaan. They're now in the wilderness. See, God has promised a place for them. They're on their way to the place that God had promised them. See, don't ever get all dis- disrupted and get all discombobulated when you're on your way to the place that God has promised you. Some of y'all, some of y'all are not in the promised lands yet, but you're on your way. Keep your cool. Are y'all with me? Some of y'all are in the middle of on your way to where God has promised you, but you will act a fool. Can I show y'all something? Um, let me go back. I, I hate to jump back here, but, I, but the Holy Ghost said do it. Go back to the 16th chapter and watch this. Because this ain't the first time they acted a fool. Usually people act a fool, it ain't the first time. When you see people acting a fool in public, they've done it in private. When you see that child cutting up in public, Parents, stop acting like you disciplined them in private. Because had you disciplined them in private, they wouldn't be cutting up in public. And now you want to make me think that you're handling your business in private, but you're really not because the child wouldn't be doing what they're doing in public had you handled it in private. Okay, so let's quit trying to fool each other. Are y'all with me? Go to the 16th chapter right there. Come on, let's get back to it. Number 16. Look at verse number one. It says, one day Korah, son of Ishar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Nathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and on and on, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. Watch this. They, now, these are people that have been delivered out of, out of slavery out of Egypt. Now Moses leading them to the promised land, but they're cutting up. They incited, they, they incited a rebellion against Moses. Moses was God's appointed leader. And they're inciting a rebellion, along with 250 other leaders of the community. These few got other 250, all prominent members of the assembly. 
Now watch this text. They united against Moses and Aaron. And said, now, I got to ask y'all a question. Who was God's chosen man? He prepared him 40 years on the backside of the desert for him to go do what he's doing. But now yet they come against God's appointed man. You better be careful. Watch this. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart. Now watch this. They got a problem with Moses being in the leadership position. They said the whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord and he is with all of us. In other words, pastor, you don't want to hear from the Lord. We hear from the Lord too. Watch this. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the people of the Lord's people? Keep reading. We're going to see what the Lord got to say about it. When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Watch this. Then he said to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. Next verse says, Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners. Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who've gone too far. Some folks don't flat out went too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites, watch this. Does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Watch this next verse. Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? Watch this. The Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. See, sometimes when, you talk, when, when you're talking against spiritual leadership, sometimes you, it's the Lord who you're mad at. But since, since you're kind of scared to tell him, you go against spiritual leadership. Watch this. The Lord, the Lord is the one you are... You and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? He ain't nothing. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abraham, the sons of Eliab, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. Watch this. Next verse. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt? Here they are complaining. A land flowing with milk and honey to kill us here in this wilderness and that you now treat us like your subjects? See, God chose Moses. Moses didn't even want to do it. But God chose him. What's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We won't come. We ain't coming. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, do not accept their grain offerings. I'm not taking so much as a donkey from them, and I have never heard a single one of them. Moses getting a little hot now, the, the mild man of Moses. And Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourself before the Lord. Aaron will also be here. Watch this. And you and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it so you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. Text says, so each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire and placed incense on it. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Watch this. Meanwhile, Korah has stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord 
appear to the whole community. Now, you got to be careful when you get in, into the presence of the Lord. When the Spirit of God is moving the place and you're acting in rebellion, you better be careful. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Watch this, watch this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, get away from all these people so I may instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron, here's what true leadership do. True leadership will know you've been talking about them and still get out on knees and pray for you. True leadership will still intercede for you in your ignorance and your lack of knowledge. True leadership won't throw you away. They said, but Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground. Oh God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? Watch this. And the Lord said to Moses, watch this. He says, then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dothan, and Abram. Abram, I'm sorry. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dothan and Abram, followed by the elders of Israel. Watch this quick. He told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. Text says, so all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dothan, and Abram. Then Dothan and Abram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents together with their wives and children and little ones. Next verse. And Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I've done, for I have not done them on my own. Moses never claimed to be operating in his own willpower. He said, God sent me. If these men die a natural death or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new and the ground opens his mouth and swallows them and all their belongings and they go down alive to the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking. The words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. And the text says, the earth opened his mouth and swallowed the men along with their household and all their followers who were standing with them and everything that they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. Let me tell you something. See, you think it's only your decision that's it's, it's you, hurting you. But listen, you can make decisions to hurt your entire family. Husband and wife, you cutting up and now the kids all messed up because you ain't, didn't do marriage God's way. And you think it's just about you, you two, but it's affecting an entire generation that's coming behind you. And they all vanished from all the people of Israel. Watch this next verse, sister. All the people around them fled when they heard their screams. The earth will swallow us too, they cried. They were getting out of Dodge. Now Moses went and told them, now listen, you better get out from around them. They are in rebellion. See, when you rebel against God's leadership, God's appointed leadership, there can be consequences. The fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. Now watch this. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, tell Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, to pull all the incense burners from the fire, for they are holy. The guys who were carrying them were holy, but they were, the, the incense are holy. Also tell them to scatter the burning coals. I'm going to stop here, and you read the rest of it. But the reality is, in, in this situation here, Moses uh, uh, these folks here in this 20th chapter wasn't the first time that Moses had to deal with a rebellious people. But in chapter 20, Moses got irritated. And God had told him to speak to the rock. But because the people were complaining 
and they were irritating him, he smote the rock. The water still came, but he disobeyed God. And as a result of his disobedience, he was not allowed to enter into the land of promise. But it was his irritation that caused him to walk in disobedience. How many times have you allowed your irritations to cause you to walk in disobedience? God has told you to do something, but you're irritated with somebody. You're irritated with your child, your wife, your husband, your pastor, your, your Sunday school teacher. You're irritated with them. And so now you go in direct opposition to what God's word says. And that's what happened uh, to Moses. Moses got irritated. And, and as a result, he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Moses was usually a patient person, but, but you know, even the most patient people can have their limits, right? Even the ones who, some of y'all are some patient folks, but sometimes people kind of get, get next to you, right? Keep on praying, okay? Don't allow your irritation to cause you to be walking in disobedience. Lastly, I'm going to stop here. Inactivity. In other words, how, how good are you at, at just not doing anything? How good are you at, 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 at settling? Uh, yesterday, Sister Adams did something she hadn't done in a long time. Nothing. <laughs> she didn't do nothing yesterday but watch TV. Watch some, some westerns and some, uh, some crime shows and some SWAT and uh, SEAL team and just chilled out, just didn't do anything. Um, just just en- enjoyed a, a day of nothing. And I, I enjoyed it too because you know what I did? I watched me some, uh, some Georgia, Tennessee, and I watched me some LSU in Alabama. And LSU won. Isn't that, so, isn't that a good thing? There is a God in heaven. Now, you know, I, I'm not one who said that, you know, you pray, I, I, you know, when I was praying, playing ball at Tech, I would pray sometimes, Lord, give us the victory. But, I, you know, I think the Lord, the Lord said, okay, y'all sell it on the field, okay? I, I got you, you my born-again believer, but I'm not going to get in the middle of it, okay? All right, but, 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 but listen, inactive, most of us would rather do anything but wait. And so your ability to wait kind of shows um, or inability to wait will show whether or not you really uh, uh, have patience. How many of y'all get mad when you're sitting in, in traffic and the traffic is backed up because of some incident and you, like 15 other people, go across to the other street and all of y'all going to the other street, now you got the other street back there. You go on Benton Road, now you cross over to Airline Drive, Airline backed up, everybody couldn't wait to go through in one lane. So now you got airline back there. We, we don't like waiting in the doctor's office. We don't like waiting for anything. Because we're in this, in this microwave generation, and I'm going to tell you something. We got to learn how to wait patiently on the Lord to, 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 to bring, bring us to the point to where we are receiving the promise. You have need of patience after that you've done the will of God that you might receive the promise. So, so look at your own life. How do I handle interruptions? How do I handle inconveniences? How do I handle irritations? And how do I handle inactivity? Do I patiently wait on the Lord to come 
and bring the answer or do I start doing it on my own? Now listen, I'm going to stop here and I'll pick up next week on how to develop your patience. What can we do to develop our patience? Because if the Bible repeatedly says we have need of patience after that we've done the will of God, that we might receive the promise, then I would surmise that it's very important for us to learn how to, 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 to have patience. Because what I tell you in, in, in the first, in our definition of patience, we said in the Bible, patience means cheerful endurance. How many of y'all are really cheerful when you're waiting on God? Or are you complaining? I would surmise that many Christians are complaining rather than being cheerful. It's waiting on God and enjoying the wait with anticipation. If I know that God's going to do it, I can enjoy my waiting period. I don't know when he's going to do it. The old folks said he may not come when you want him, but he's what? He's always on time. Where is your patient level? I need patience. Look at your neighbor. Your neighbor. We all need patience. Every head bowed, everybody close. Father, we thank you now.